0: So what were some of the characteristics that you heard people say? What do people want to be known for? Just, just shout them out. You don't have to say yours. You can, you can say somebody else's. What were some of those? What? Beauty? Beauty. Love. Encouragement? Love? Perseverance? Perseverance. Persistence? Loyalty? Loyalty. Kind. kind? Good. Loving? putting others before yourself. I had to think about what you just said for a second. Yes, that's a good one. Friendly. Friendly. Good, good. What, would, what, what? Honorable. Good, good. Thanks for participating in that and thinking. I would ask everybody what their name means, but that would take too long. So we're not going to do that. So today we're going to look at uh, one of God's names. Uh, specifically, we see this name at uh, the burning bush with Moses um, in Exodus. However, I'm going to actually kind of skip that story, or rather, there's going to be a video that summarizes that story really well, and also gives us a little bit of a history of the name Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh. yod hey veh You don't have to say that. And this is God's uh, special revealed name. And so we're going to hear in a minute just a little bit about the history of this, but also, what I want to do is I want to skip ahead multiple chapters to Exodus 34. So if you want to follow along in your text, we're going to be in Exodus 34, verses 5, 6, and 7. Rosa, I told you 6 and 7. That is my fault. I'm sorry. But that's where we will be in our text today, so this name Yahweh, really important in setting a foundation for the rest of the series, which I'm, again, I'm very honored to be able to introduce. I'm also going to be, for the sermon proper today, it's going to be more of a homily. If you're not familiar with a homily, it's what uh, preachers do when they have a time limit and need to be set to that time limit, so it's going to be a little bit more of a reading of the the sermon rather than this kind of interactive thing. I would like to encourage you that the spirit of the Lord and the truth of the Lord still flows in that way, even if I'm not out here doing hand motions or anything like that. The Lord is still speaking to our hearts and minds in everything that is here. So with that being said, let's consider a little bit uh, this name, Yahweh, with this video from the Bible Project.
1: learn the meaning of this name in the story of Form of the verb he will be, and this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over six thousand five hundred times in the Old Testament. Now, here's the.
0: Interesting, right? A little history, a little history there. So again, whenever we see in our, uh, most of our translations, uh, Lord, which is all capital letters, it's referring to this name of God, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. So uh, if you want to turn in your text to Exodus 34, I'm going to read uh, just a couple verses, and then we'll get into the um, sermon proper. So Exodus 34, uh, verse 5. The Lord, Yahweh, descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The word of the Lord. Good. Whoever did that? Nice. Thanks. So context. Context is really key. So previously in the story of Moses and the burning bush, God revealed his name Yahweh. I am, and said, this is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. The main attribute, which, do people say attribute or attribute here? Okay. The main attribute of this revelation had to do with his self-existing nature. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be, like the video said. However, while this grandiose and mystical and amazing name We only get an indirect glimpse at the quality or the virtue of this eternal one during the burning bush epiphany. We get a sense that this God wants to rescue and deliver, and he has been in contact with the family of Abraham for hundreds of years. But what else is there to this God, Yahweh? The few pages right before Exodus 34 tell us about the wrath and the anger of God and how he wanted to destroy all the people of Israel. But why? Well, it was because while Moses and God were forming a covenant on the mountainside, the people became restless. They created idols formed of gold, and they were having an ancient Woodstock moment that went against the commands that God had just given them. They had broken loose and broken their word to God which he which they had just given to him. They told him, "All that you have said, God, all that you have commanded, God, we will follow." And then a day, a couple days later, kind of threw that out. Moses interceded for the people and purification was made, but Moses pleads with God to show him to show them God's ways. "Show me your glory, God," Moses pleads. God responds, and he says that he will make all his goodness pass before Moses and proclaim before Moses his name again. As one commentator puts it, God had declared his name to be Jehovah, the self-existent one at the burning bush. It had marked him as eternal and uncaused, unconditioned and all-powerful, but it had not revealed his moral nature. Now, something further was needed. God accordingly proclaimed his name afresh. What we see here in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 is God bringing further direct exposure to Moses and to us about his name and about his character. And then, can you put the uh, verse up on the screen just so we can kind of see and follow along? Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before Moses and Yahweh proclaimed Yahweh. What word sticks out there multiple times? Yeah. Repetition is big in Hebrew scripture for wanting to draw your attention to something. The scripture is trying to really emphasize that what is about to be said about Yahweh is from Yahweh. There is this self-declaration about who this God is that only the eternal one can honestly and truly speak. Many times we want to self-declare our own identity or our group's identity or even our church's identity. And while there may be some good material in there, ultimately it falls short. Because we have this insufficiency within us. We have a perspective that doesn't always line up with reality. Humanity needs something, someone outside of themselves to be named. But Yahweh, the self-existing, self-sufficient one, does not need this. And so Yahweh is the only one who actually has the right to make a self-declarative statement that holds completely true. This isn't Moses saying who Yahweh is. This isn't another prophet giving a revelation about who Yahweh is. This is God saying who God is and it bears a different type of weight. The translation of Yahweh as Lord, as a title, is important. It's common Jewish and Christian history, as we saw in the video, and should be noted. Because titles help, in one sense, to connect people relationally. I am DJ's friend. By having that title of DJ's friend, you can kind of understand a little bit more about our relationship and the way that we're connected. I am Tim Deering's dance instructor. If you didn't know... I'm teaching Tim flamenco dancing. That's not true at all. But if I were Tim's dance instructor, you could see some kind of a relationship there of me being a master of dance trying to teach him the flamenco. I needed to add a couple things to keep people going. So I am DJ's friend. Yahweh is Lord. What is Yahweh Lord of? What is Yahweh Lord over? He is Lord of everything. The world right now is not big on the idea of authority, mostly because we've seen power used so poorly and in corrupt manners. But God, Yahweh, has authority. He is Lord of all, and that is a necessary recognition of His character. However, while there are relational connections in certain titles, there tends to be a deeper sense of intimacy and in knowing somebody's name. As John Mark Homer mentioned in his book about Yahweh, titles can have a level of respect. So Mr., Mrs., Sir, Ma'am, Madam, whatever. And they can also have a recognition of achievement, such as a doctor, or if you're in uh, lawyerism, you know, you're an esquire. But in comparison with the name, Titles tend to convey a sense that a person is a stranger. We use names when we know someone. My wife's name is Naomi. I don't call her Mrs. Boyer. That would be weird and would remind me of my mom. When I affectionately tell her something, I don't say, I love you, wife. What I say is, I say, no, Naomi. And I look her in the eyes and I say, You're awesome. Naomi, you're awesome. Names give a sense of intimacy and furthermore, a name also gives a sense of existence outside of a relationship. Naomi would still be Naomi if she wasn't my wife. She has her own identity, which I am now greatly interconnected with, but it's still her own. In comparison, God has a name, not just a title and his name is Yahweh. God wants us to know his name because he wants to know us and wants us to know him. He doesn't want to be a stranger. He's telling us his name, not just simply a title. So Yahweh descended. Yahweh passed before Moses and Yahweh proclaimed Yahweh, a God. So that word God there is the Hebrew word El and it's used of God uh, generically. So even pagan gods, even gods from other Uh, religions in the Hebrew uh, scriptures are called El. Sometimes El refers to God as the God of Israel. So the Hebrew word for God generically is El, whether it be for Yahweh or another false god. Here in Exodus, it's saying that Yahweh is a divine being, but the question still remains what kind of God is Yahweh? What follows is a list of traits sometimes referred to in Jewish circles as the 13 attributes of mercy. Each of these would need a sermon in and of itself, but just to uh, give it a little bit of an intro, let's do the cliff notes as part of the introduction today. Also, as a separate side note, If you ever read Genesis 1 and 2, one of the really interesting things about the language there is that in Genesis 1, God is referred to as El, but in Genesis 2, he's referred to as Yahweh El. So there's actually two same but different names in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And I saw this like a month ago. I don't, you know how you read something over and over again and then you're like, oh, what is this about? And I would, I would suggest that there's something that both Genesis 1 and 2 are trying to convey to us in truth and in beauty, but it, try, it's trying to go about conveying that in a slightly different way by the fact that God's name is different in both of those. And I don't know what that is yet, but I think that's really cool. So Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, these are two attributes that are very interconnected, yet not enmeshed with one another as to provide no distinction. Metaphorically, they are separate beings, which together produce an offspring whose sum is greater than its parts. God has compassion, pity, and tenderness, which is displayed as mercy and related to the Hebrew word for womb, carrying the sense of motherly affection. God's nature is also one of favor. He desires and likes us, not because we are always likable, but because of his graciousness towards us. Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Really? Any Bible reader will kind of have some questions about this. This is probably the hardest one for many of us to receive if we're honest. We see the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament and it seems like God is always threatening to destroy this or that or the other thing. Well, Yahweh is seeing, saying here that he is slow to To anger, that his nostrils do not easily flare. So, if we take this attribute into account and earnestly note the anger he does feel and display in the scriptures, one logical conclusion is that when he does get angry, there is legitimate reasons for it. He is not stewing in hatred, just waiting and wanting for something to set him off. He's slow to anger, so when his anger is present, It's with valid motives. Yahweh, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands. Yahweh is generous in his love, zealous and jealous for his people and his own name. Yahweh is true and reliable and keeps his promises even when we do not keep ours. He is not okay with us running around with other gods, with sleeping with other lovers, but is also not going to abandon humanity to their own devices. He's going to fight and covenant keep because that's who he is. Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, all the places where we miss the mark of a divine standard which God requires. All the more purposeful acts that we choose that overstep boundaries and rebellion, and all the perverse activity and lawlessness that we might engage in, Yahweh will forgive as we repent. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Yahweh, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth. God is just, and while he'll forgive, he won't just be okay with wrongdoing. Do note, however, in the text, the numbers game that is between his visiting the iniquity and his covenantal love. It's disproportioned, right? It's towards keeping steadfast love. The word generation might be found in some of your texts and some of your translations, but that is actually a a translator's note. It's not in the Hebrew. And it's a good note, but if you have a generation uh, at the end of verse 7 with visiting the iniquity to the third and fourth generation, you also need to have it at the beginning of verse 7 with keeping Uh, love for thousands of generations. It's a comparative figure of speech that is pointing to just how abundant Yahweh's love is. The interesting part about this last portion is that the justice of God gives the mercy of God teeth. You don't usually think of mercy having teeth, right? But it's the justice of God that gives the mercy of God teeth. It makes it meaty. Sometimes mercy and forgiveness can be understood in a sentimental fashion. But in Yahweh, where there is no dichotomy of grace and truth, justice and mercy enliven and embolden each other. And you, and you can have one without the other, but that's called idolatry. Because that's not who Yahweh is. When Jesus was with his disciples, at one point he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say that you're Elijah, or maybe one of the other prophets like Jeremiah. Peter answered that Jesus was the Messiah, because Jesus asked Peter, well, that's fine what they say, but what do you think? Who do you say that I am? What about you? Again, Peter answers that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus said Peter was blessed because this was revealed by the Father and not by flesh and blood. So if I could encourage you, Parker Ford, as this series gets off the ground and continues through the end of the year, as we, as you, hear and see and experience and wrestle with the names of God, when we are asked, what do you think? Who do you say God is? May we be a people that echo back in an intimate not in a a stuck-in-a-rut fashion, what Yahweh has already said and revealed to us about himself. May we do this even if at times his justice might make us uncomfortable and even if at times his love might make us blush. You guys can come back up. So where does uh, Jesus play into all this? The latter part of the sermon series that uh, is starting today will entail looking at a few of the names that are connected with Jesus. As we go into responsive worship now through song, I just want to read a few short passages that begin to bridge that so-called gap between the Old and the New Testament regarding God's name and regarding his character. Because it's easy, although incorrect, to construct walls that just shouldn't be there between the Greek and the Hebrew scriptures. The whole canon of scripture, both old, quote unquote, old and New Testament, all of it is about the great I am. So this is from uh, uh, John 14. So keep in your mind the idea of the name. Keep in the back of your mind the idea of what kind of God is this Yahweh? And keep in the back of your mind the fact that Jesus reveals even more and more who this God Yahweh is. Jesus to his disciples at one of the Passover meals, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say that we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of the other disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen Jesus has seen Yahweh. Whatever kind of conception you have of the God of the Old Testament, whether it's uh, some kind of legitimate reasons or maybe some kind of false construct, how is Jesus the person of Jesus telling you who this God is? How is Jesus, who refers to himself as that "I am," telling you who Yahweh is in the Old Testament? Because there's not this dichotomy that there's one God of the Old Testament, another God of the New Testament. It's the same throughout. Jesus' prayer in John 17, I'm going to cherry-pick some of the verses in here to draw out the importance of the name of God. I, Jesus, have manifested your name to the people whom you have me out of the world, whom you have given me out of the world. What does it mean to manifest someone's name? What does it mean to manifest someone's name? Holy Father, keep them in your name. What does it mean to keep somebody in somebody's name? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And then finally, one other scriptural passage for thought from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. He says this to us, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." There is this intimate connection between Father and Son and also between Spirit that we see in the Scripture. And I really uh, hope that during this time as you're receiving God's name in this series and as you're receiving the name that he gives you, that you also just think about this mystery and this intimacy of the Trinity and how the Father, Son, and Spirit are so intimately connected and about how all of them as one call us into that same intimacy that that was part of Jesus's prayer, that we would be one just as they are one. And that even maybe in part of this naming or renaming of Parker Ford, that there's something really tangible, right? Something that can be manifested throughout all of this in the names of God that God is calling you to both receive in your heart, but also work out in your community, both here at the local level, but also in your city and the places of work. And what does it mean for us as God's people, for us as the church to manifest God's name? What does it mean for us to realize that Jesus manifested God's name and to see him and keep our eyes on him and to uh, exalt him as the name above all names, but to also go out into our world and even into our families and into those other intimate relationships and have the glory of God revealed in this area. So let's stand in response and worship through song uh, that the team will lead us in.